0: You're listening to Helping Those with DID, a podcast of Lydia Discipleship Ministries. Thank you for your desire to gain more understanding of how to best help those with dissociative issues. You can visit our website at www.lydia.dm.org. And now let's listen in. Hello, everyone. We're excited to be with you here today. Hi, Dr. Elaine. Right, Lindy. So recently we looked at the idea of the way trauma impacts our body and our brain. And that was so insightful to me. Thank you for that. I want to keep going in this vein, but today we're going to talk about impact on the soul and the mind. And if we get to it, we'll hit on the spirit or we might pick that up next time. But um, I find this so helpful and interesting, to be honest, just how this all works into who we are and then what God does to restore these things that have been wounded in trauma. So let's just start out here
1: talking about the soul. Tell me what you mean by the soul. Well, if you had to look it up in a dictionary, it would give you some very static Description like uh, our personality or our emotions, or sometimes even our identity. But for me, the mind is the decider part of us, the chooser part of us. And in scripture, it really makes it clear that the real core part of us that has to do with choosing to Christ's way or choosing the enemy's way, has to do with the mind. The mind is the battlefield. And when I think of the soul, now these are all my definitions, so you might come up with different ones. But to me, the soul is kind of like the mind with emotions added in. We respond as we do with the mind, but very often there can be a very cerebral decision or statement that the mind makes whereas the soul really gets involved with the emotions of it. And then as long as we're talking about those, the spirit, to me, that's the connection with God.
0: Okay, so that helps kind of lay a groundwork for the different pieces of who we are that we're looking at. You have a quote here that I want to hear more about. It says, trauma is the ultimate in identity theft. What does that mean?
1: I think we underestimate the relevance and the importance of who we really are understanding our identity It's different than personality in personality there might be a bubbly person or an introvert that's just different ways that God has built us and made us but our identity is the very core of who we are and it's the truth as the Lord's says about us and I think that a lot of times trauma robs us of who we are. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's experienced complex trauma for example who has had an accurate picture of themselves. The lies that interface the trauma like it was my fault or I should have resisted more or it didn't matter to me or whatever That is where the identity begins to take on a look that doesn't match the look that the Good Shepherd has of us. If identity is framed by relationship, then as well for Christians, God's identity is distorted as well in our thinking.
0: So, my perception of myself, who I am, and my value, along with my perception of who God is and the character of God, which, wow, those are two really big things. Who am I? Who does God see me as? And who do I see God as? That feels really central to
1: my life. It certainly is, Lindy. And that's why I call it the ultimate in identity theft, because both of those in order to find true, lasting, complete healing, we have to get those two areas straight.
0: Okay, so the million-dollar question, how how do we go from an identity of uh, maybe shame or victimization or even an identity with God that looks at him as um, cruel or unsafe? That feels like a huge chasm to cross between those ideas and the truth. Where, where do we start on that?
1: Well, I think the the best place to always start is with hearing from him, hearing from God, because if our identity, our connection with him is core, that has to be the place that we aim at. And how we aim at it is to challenge what we're thinking, challenge what we currently think, if it doesn't match up with what we say. I think I used the example before, but when I was talking to the Lord, probably midway in my healing, uh, he seemed to ask me, write down things that are true about you. And so I wrote, I'm worthless, nobody will ever love me, things like that. And then he had me write down truths about him. And I said, he's dangerous, you know, he's going to hurt me. And so then he said that, in the next column, to write down the opposite of what I had just written. And he said, those are the truths. So what you can do is begin to see your mind and your spirit and your soul reconstructed, in a sense, by meditating on those. So he, he encouraged me in the morning for a whole month to read them out loud, read the ones that he said were the truth about me. And I think we underestimate the power of the word, not in the flag. I'm just, you know, trying to um, make a, a, a ritual of it or legalistic thing of it. But asking God, do I, where are the places where I have cracks in my identity?
0: Hmm.
1: And believe it or not, he answers.
0: I love that as a starting point is it's so simple, but we think of all of these things we might need to do, but you're just saying, just come to the Lord, ask him to start telling you the truth, Um, compare it to what your mind and your heart are saying to you. And what an accessible way to start for someone in their healing. If a counselor is working with them, just that simple list or that simple time of quiet,
1: and God is so faithful. He is. And I should add that I knew when I could cross something off my list because I had really embedded the truth in that area. Was that if when I read the list that was true, there was almost an explosion inside at first like, oh, that's not true. No, that's not true. And big resistance to that. Big resistance, big negative thoughts. And then when I could see that the Lord was beginning to change my perspective, I could read the truth and and just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense.
0: It was settled inside of you Mm -hmm. as truth Mm -hmm. and there wasn't the same resistance to it. Anything else on the soul, the the traumas impact on the soul before we move on to the mind that you want to add in?
1: Well, I think... If the soul, in my definition of it anyway, is the mind with emotions added in, we need to remember that emotions aren't bad. A brain causes emotions to happen. But that verse that says um, to be angry, but don't sin. Hmm. You know, don't beat up anybody. Don't go and do something else we know isn't right. So I think we just need a quick reminder that um, the soul is something that God has given us and it's not bad.
0: Yeah, that those emotions and those feelings are actually messages and they have a place to lead us to the truth. And how do we then look at... Not just what we're feeling and experiencing, but then the mind is just right there next to it, right? You even talked about rehearsing truth, which feels like it kind of moves into that mind space. So let's start with what happens in the mind of someone who has trauma, and then kind of how do we keep moving forward in our healing for that part of who we are?
1: Sometimes I think it is important that we remember that it's not the events that cause the brokenness it's it, what surrounds the events that's that an interesting statement okay is,
0: tell me more about that because that would be surprising for someone mm-hmm. to hear
1: that for example of course being raped is hideous i'm not saying it's unimportant but when a person is raped if they said you know this wasn't my fault. I was only four. Mm. And what do I need to do? I might need to seek justice. I might need to get very logical and very understandably in line with the truth about that horrific thing. But that's not usually what happens. What surrounds it? I guess in our Christian terminology, we just should call them lies. Because the thought, I should have done something more, or it was my fault. We mentioned it earlier. Um, Those are the things that God works with to diffuse the past. And he does it by acknowledging what happened, but then moving past that and showing us the thoughts that came out of that abuse that are holding us hostage because they're not true.
0: That, I hear that. And I think that is so accurate because it's a story, right? There's an event and then there's a story and we reflect back on that story and that becomes everything. And so letting God almost re-narrate that or walk through that and look at the things in it that um, he wants to change in our mind of even how the story is told. Is that kind of the right idea?
1: Right. Because once the story is straightened out, then it's settled.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's God is the one who speaks truth in a way that it's resolved. Mm -hmm. You know, they talk a lot about resolving past issues. Mm -hmm. God is the resolver. He's the one. That goes in and says, you know, this is what I thought about you that evening. Or this is what is true about you. And it's resolved. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be revisited because he is the great resolver, if I could call him that, has resolved it for us.
0: What a cool name for God (laughs) Um, to add in uh, even the truth of who he is, that he's the resolver, which takes, there's an actual like physical action that he takes us through to get to that place. Um, So that's the memory piece of it and the story of the memory. Now, someone who might still have like a lot of, Mind noise or confusion—you've talked about that—they're still bringing into their day-to-day life, maybe as a grown-up or um, in their situations. I know that you've said that's something it can just feel so loud inside, in the mind. As we're talking about that, tell me a little more about how that all works.
1: Well, I think the the depth of the damage often mirrors the amount of chaos on the inside. Hmm. If you come from an SRA background satanic ritual abuse or just ritual abuse the difference there is you can be ritually abused by different cults who have nothing to do they think with satan or there are those cults that worship satan that's sra okay that's specific but the more trauma the more sometimes it's almost like hearing lots of conversations going on at the same time. So you might think in terms of dissociation, you might hear a very young place in your thinking responding to something and then an older place in your thinking responding differently to that or making fun of the first situation and So that can the dissociative issue comes into play there, but also sometimes the noise and also busyness is a covering for dealing with trauma. Just that kind of staying in a bit of a chaos
0: that's almost distracting, maybe. Right. So that there's just you've created this external busyness or noise to in a way, counteract
1: the internal noise and busyness? Right. And I think um, it's sort of, it's not that we do it knowingly, Mm -hmm. but it's making it so that our adrenaline is always at a high level. And if the adrenaline's at a high level, then it means later the chemistry in the brain is going to be needing to be topped off because those chemicals are not in balance anymore. So I think that sometimes uh, the chaos that's on the inside counts the pain of what happened.
0: And that just reminds me so much of our conversation recently about what happens in the brain and in the body and how much they're just all intertwined with each other. How would a counselor help someone kind of find some internal and external? quiet and space if they are kind of living in that internal, external chaos state.
1: Well, maybe part of it is just realizing what's happening inside because sometimes with all the conversations and everything with the dissociation, there's not the understanding of, you know, my mind is running fast or my mind is never stays on a thought, just bounces all over. And taking that to the Lord and saying, is there anything you want to show me about my mind? Mm -hmm. Is there anything you want to change that would make it so that the healing that you have for me can move forward?
0: So allowing him again the space to speak into Mm -hmm. this part of our healing as well.
1: The other thing is that sometimes there's a part Who, for example, is a very good office worker. That's the part that goes, shows up at work and she is doing everything, making coffee and going here and filling reports and projects. And maybe identifying that place in your thinking and making uh, some sort of a bargain that would be helpful to everyone inside. For example, you know. By the end of the day, I'm totally exhausted. I know you may not be, but I am just whipped. So what about if after four o'clock, we just took time to let his peace flow in? Mm -hmm. Because his peace is very often missing when you have lots of trauma. Mm -hmm.
0: So just allowing that part of yourself permission to go on a rest break. Right and talking about that together. Those are really good suggestions that are so, again, practical and useful in that space. Anything else on kind of our mind trauma that you want to include in this part of the discussion?
1: Well, I was just thinking, it's probably just my humor, but that thing about drugs where they had a frying pan and an egg. Yes. And they said, this is your brain on drugs. Sometimes I wish we had a picture of this is your mind and chaos, mm-hmm. so that we'd be aware of it, so that we could contrast it and learn how to receive peace.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because peace and trauma don't go together, they're about as far apart as anything could be. So, being aware of what our brain is doing, what our mind is doing, and then also asking God, Show show me what peace feels like, so then I'll know when it's there from you.
0: Mm-hmm. So you could have the two pictures: your brain on chaos, and then your brain with the Prince of Peace lording over every part of your life. I think that might be a good pausing point for today. I think so. To look at those pictures and let's talk again soon and hit this third important piece of the, the spirit and what happens in trauma and what happens in God's restoration. You can visit our website for resources at www.lydiadm.org.